0: Well, we are in Genesis, and this week we are in Genesis 39 to 40. And last week we, we, we talked about Judah. And one of the things that we, the reason I believe that God put it in here in this place is that God wanted to show that he can use even the evil that people have in their lives for his good. And for his glory. And we saw that, uh, that Judah, through Tamar, was in the line of Jesus. God redeemed all of that mess to show that he can use evil people. Well, this week we're going to be back with Joseph and, we're, and last week when we left Joseph, he'd gotten sold, right? His brothers, they loved him so much. They threw him a pit and then he didn't die fast enough so they pulled him out and they sold him. And he, he was down in Egypt and he was sold to a guy by the name of Potiphar. We'll talk about him in just a minute. And uh, we're gonna pick up with Joseph. He, was, he became a slave. And we're gonna watch how God is going to use Joseph and bless him wherever he is. And it's not, a, it's not the best place in the world. It's not the most convenient place in the world that he ends up, but God blesses him and uses him. And we're going to see, he, Joseph is a man who even in his youth, God was speaking to him through dreams. And they're going to play a substantial part in Joseph's life as we move through this. But so let's come to Genesis chapter 39. Genesis 39 and let's talk about what God was doing through Joseph. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of his bodyguard brought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him from him down there. Now, I want to stop there for just a second. So who is this guy by the name of Potiphar? Well, first I want to talk about his name. His name is literally the, he whom Ra gave. Now, who was Ra? Ra was the god of Egypt. Matter of fact, if you watch some of the movies... Uh, you know, today they talk about Ra. He was was the god, the big god over many gods that the Egyptians had. And this guy by the name of Potiphar was named after Ra. I mean, how much more of an unbeliever could you be to be named after Ra? And he was not just some insignificant person. This is the captain of the bodyguard. So think of today the Secret Service. You know those guys and, and we think Secret Service is a very large agency but there's only a very select few that are picked to be around the president. And this guy was the head of that. He was, he was Pharaoh's bodyguard. He stood next to him and, and would be willing to give his life For Pharaoh, that's the kind of guy that Joseph's involved with. So let's continue to read. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his name. And so Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over the house, and all that he owned was put in his charge. And it came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on the account of Joseph. And thus the Lord's blessing was upon all he owned in his house and in his field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge and with him there, he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate, and we'll stop there. The first thing I want you to see out of this is that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Now you're 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 thinking, wait a second. Here the here he's a, a slave in Egypt. He's been he's been. Jerked away from his family. He's in a foreign land. He doesn't speak the language. He has to learn all that. And yet the Lord was with him. And the Lord blessed him. And you're like, "Well, wait a second, he's a slave. How can he be happy? How can he be, how can God use him? And it really isn't about where he is. It's about who's with him. The Lord was with Joseph. You see, sometimes we, we get into this, this thing where you know, when things are going great and, and we have a ministry that's being blessed and we're seeing God work and, and we're, we're saying, oh, the Lord is here. The Lord's with us. But when you're down in the valley, when you're getting kicked around a little bit, when things aren't all that they're cracked up to be? Guess what? The Lord is with you. It's not just when you're up here. The Lord is with you when you're down here. The God of the mountain is to God in the valley. Amen? He really is. Romans 8 tells us all about it. And I want you to watch this as it goes along. Because this is an amazing passage. Sometimes we slip out a little section out of the middle of this. But I want you to watch what happens in Romans 8:35 to 39. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or COVID or... Uh, wait, or peril or sword just as it is written for your sake we are being put to death all day long we were considered as sheep to be slaughtered is that up on the mountain? that's no mountain there but I want you to watch this next verse but in all these things and I I want you to catch that where where? In, in the middle of all these things. in Circle it, underline it, highlight it. In all these things. That's where God has us. In all these things we are overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. Overwhelmingly conquered. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter whether you're on the mountain or down in the valley. Look at the list. There's nothing you could be going through that isn't on this list. He is there. He is working in our lives in all these things is where he is. The other thing I want you to catch out of this is that God will use you to bless unbelievers. You know, we like to bless each other. You know, oh, hey, brother so-and-so, hey, I want to bless you with this. I wanted to do this for you. But God will use you to bless unbelievers. I mean, look at Joseph. Joseph's all by himself. There's no other believers around there. There's no other Jewish people around where he is. And yet God is blessing Potiphar and all his household and his fields. Matter of fact, he's blessing him in such a way that even the the man who's named after Ra, Potiphar, recognizes that it's something other than anything that he has in his life. He noted that the Lord was blessing Joseph and blessed him through them. And a matter of fact, when God gave the blessing, gave the covenant to Abraham, he talked about it. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives. And from your father's house to a land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? But I want you to look at the last half of the covenant. And so you shall be a blessing. Not only am I going to bless you. I'm going to bless others through you and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. See, God is going to use you just like he used Abraham to bless those around you. And you know, that's a really great way to reach people for Christ. Hey, I want to do something for you. Hey, I want to bless you with this. Hey, I want to... And, and they're like, going, why would you want to do that? Because huh. God loves me. And God loves you. You may not know it yet. But God's after you. I wouldn't say it that way. but. And, and if we look back in Genesis, when, when Jacob went to Laban... Even old evil Laban saw that God was with, jo- with uh, Jacob. But Laban said to him, said to Jacob, if now it pleases you, stay with me. I have divined that the Lord has blessed me on your account. The Lord blessed Laban, even though he was a sc- sc- conniving, you can put whatever words you want in there. The guy was, was low down. And God said, hey, you're going to get blessed because you know this guy. That's pretty, that's pretty awesome that you can get blessed because you know somebody who knows God. And we're those people. So in Genesis 39, in 6 through 18, and I'm just going to summarize this story. Now it starts out at the end of 6. It says this. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. Joseph was a good looking kid. He was a young man by this time. And uh, he would have been in his early 20s. And he's good looking. And he's successful. I mean, if we would think about it, he would be the guy that you walked in the room and, and, and you look and say, wow, that guy is on the top of his game. He must be the CEO of someplace. No, actually, he's a, he's a slave. God's just blessing him. I mean, he, he looks good, everything he touches is good. And Potiphar's wife saw that. She said, I want some of that, literally she painted herself up and she made herself uh, said hey come on come on to my bedroom and Joseph said no nope. he said no way he said not only has God blessed me and you're his you're my, you're my master's wife but I could never do that to God and he turns her down wow and, but, did you give up? I want you to look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. And she spoke to Joseph day after day, and he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Every day. See, we sometimes we think, oh, Satan is, is trying to tempt me, and I rebuke you, Satan, off you go. And he leaves us alone, doesn't he? No, he's right back the next day saying, hey, wink, wink, it's, it'll be okay it. Come on, it won't hurt. She was persistent. Sin is persistent. Sin is persistent. It's going to keep knocking at your door, and you need to keep turning away. And that's what Joseph did until one day, He got caught alone. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household was there inside. Oops, he let his guard down. He let his guard down. And he got caught when he let his guard down. It's important that we keep our guard up. We we, we can't allow Satan any opportunity in. In Romans 13, it says, let us behave properly as in the day, right? In the daylight, not in the darkness, not in carousing or drunkenness or not in sexual promiscuity or sensuality, not in strife or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. You cannot let your guard down. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, there's a story about David. And the chapter starts out, And in the spring when kings go to battle, David stays home. And one night he walks, he can't sleep and he walks out on his balcony and he looks down and he sees a lady by the the name of Bathsheba bathing on top of her rooftop. And we know the rest of the story, don't we? In the spring, when kings go to battle, where was David? David stayed home. He was tired. He didn't want to fight this spring. He wanted to relax a little bit. He let his guard down. And as soon as he let his guard down, boom. And it ends up with Nathan saying, thou art the man. We cannot let our guard down. Well, the story goes on. He, he, she, she sees him all alone. She's laying there in her bed. She literally grabs He has a tunic that he wears on the outside. She grabs his tunic and holds on to it. And he runs away. And there's no one there to tell the story. And she cries out. She says, calls all the other men servants, all the other servants in the house, come and look at what this Hebrew, and that's interesting, the bias that she shows, the bigotry that she shows when when somebody doesn't do what you want to do, oh, well, you're a Christian. Why'd you do that? The bias is there, and she said, oh, he tried to come and rape me. She waits all day until her husband comes home with his cloak in her hand and says, look at what that slave tried to do to me. A false accusation. Well, let's look at verse, verses 19 to 23 and see what happens after this false accusation. Now, when this matter, when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him saying, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. And so Joseph's master took him and put him in the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph. Still there. The Lord is still there. The Lord was with Joseph and extended him kindness and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. And the chief jailer, committed to Joseph, charge of all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever he had done there, he was responsible for it. And the chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made him prosper. Wow! Isn't Joseph having a great time? I'm a a slave. I get falsely accused. I get thrown in prison. Hallelujah! I'm really not sure that he was rejoicing all that much, though. He probably, but what happened? Who was there with him? The Lord was with him. It doesn't matter where you are, it matters who is with you. It doesn't matter where you are, it matters who. Is with you. Notice that's a capital W. When God is there, any place can be home. And and you know, here's you know Joseph could have sulked in the prayer. I falsely accused. I'm gonna appeal. There is no appeal. Right? He could have, he could have just sit in his cell and sulked, but what did he do? He said, everything that he touched, God blessed. He took care of other people. He wanted to make sure that everyone around him saw the blessing of God. Didn't matter that he was in prison. Well, we come to chapter 4. Let me, 40, let me give you another verse. Something that kind of we forget sometimes because... We, we think about this as a great commission, but I want you to catch what God says. All authority has been given to who? Me. Who's that? Jesus. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And then watch this. And lo i am with you sometimes always i am with you always even to the end of the age where's god he's right there with you jesus has the power we just have to tap into it sometimes we forget that we try to we try to do things under our own power and under our own steam and what happens we run out of gas but when we have the power of jesus we can do anything because he said, I am with you always. And he doesn't limit it to where. He limits it to time. He doesn't limit it to, oh, I'm with you when you're on top of the mountain. It's not about a where. It's about a who, right? Well, if we hit chapter 40, we're introduced to a couple of, couple of new characters in our story here. Then it came about that after these things, the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was furious with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. So he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard. Who's that? Potiphar. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? He's in jail with Joseph. In the jail, the same place where Joseph was imprisoned, the captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them and he took care of them and they were in confinement for some time. Wow. Gee, God, I'm really tired of being in this situation. Hold on. It's not your time yet. God's timing may not be our timing. The timing's not right for Joseph yet. And we're going to see God's going to pull Joseph in at exactly the right time. The right time that's going to elevate him to become, go from being a, a slave to being vice president. But he had to wait for God's timing. He was in prison with them for some time. It says, we don't know how long that is. But isn't it nice... Here, Joseph's in prison, and he gets a five-star chef. Hey, I got the the king's baker. Come on in. What are we having? Oh, we want some creme brulee French toast. So if you've ever been to word of mouth, you'll get that reference. We're going to have the best biscuits and gravy you've ever had because the king's baker is baking for Joseph now. He's taking care of him. God's timing is not always our timing. We have to wait on Him. In 2 Peter 3 it says, Do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any to perish, but all come to repentance. God isn't slow. He's on time. Even though we can, sometimes it feels like a thousand years, doesn't it? When you're waiting, when you're praying, oh Lord, I have a prodigal child that's out here in sin and I see them, see what God is doing. God, can't you just bring them back to the Lord right now? He says, time's not right. Keep praying. Keep trusting. Lord, won't you you turn this around for me? It's not the right time. God will will turn it around when it is his time. Proverbs 16, 9 says, The mind of a man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. If 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 we're in the marching band for Jesus, We need to watch the drum major. We need to watch Jesus, and he's going to tell us when it's time to move. He's going to tell us when it's time to step out, and he will direct our path. but we have to wait on him. I want you to look at uh, verses 5 to 8 as we watch this story continue. Then the cupbearer and the baker For the king of Egypt who were confined in jail both had a dream the same night and each man with his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. And when Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. And he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement in his master's house, why are your faces so sad today? And they said to him, We have had a dream, and there is no one to interpret it. And then Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to the Lord? Tell me. Tell it to me, please. I want to stop there because there's something you need to catch here. What did it say? It says, Joseph observed them, and behold, they were dejected. Pay attention to those around you. See what's going on in their life. This morning, I I walked up to somebody and I said, so how are you today? And they said, do I have to tell the truth? Yeah. Because normally, what would we say? I'm fine. I said, you know, they said, truth be told, not doing very well this morning. I said, but you're here? Yep, I'm here. It'll be all right. God's going God's to gonna speak to me today. That's why I'm here. Took a lot of effort. When I was uh, my first year back at Liberty, 19-year-old kid, there was, uh, back then, if you remember, this is in, in the late 70s. Anybody remember night and weekend rates? Right? Nobody had a cell phone. You didn't have a cell phone, so you had to wait until either after seven, or on weekends to call home. You never called home during the day because it cost way, way too much. And most of the time, we just wrote letters. Mom would write me letters, and uh, I had—I uh, I never knew either one of my grandfathers. They both died before I was born. The only grandfather I ever knew was Grandpa Scott. He lived kitty-corner from us in Waterloo, ran the little store down, down in Waterloo. And for four years, all my, high school college, or all my high school days, every morning I got up and I went over and tied his shoes. His wife had died, and he, he was too heavy to be able to tie his own shoes, and every day I tied his shoes for four years. And I would tell him, Grandpa Scott, you know, Jesus loves you. Grandpa, Scott, I'm going to be preaching at church this week. You want to come hear me preach? No. Grandpa, Scott, I'm I'm going to explain to you the the way to salvation. I'm too mean for God. I am too mean for God. There's no way he could love me. At the time, my first year there, we, we had so many kids. I was living in a Ramada inn the upper floor of a Ramadi, and they rented the whole thing, put four guys to a room, and we had to walk six blocks down to the hotel, which was another dorm facility where the cafeteria was. Wednesday was Chapel Day, and on Chapel Day, when we got to Chapel, was where our mailboxes were, and so I went on Wednesday to Chapel, and and I got a letter from my mom. And that letter said, Grandpa Scott is in the hospital and not expected to live. The last conversation I had with Grandpa Scott was, won't you please come to Jesus? And he said, no, I'm too mean for God. Went to chapel that afternoon, or that evening, left my room, didn't, I I told my roommates, go on without me, I'll be there later, walked there the six blocks and got to the cafeteria and I found the farthest table I could from anybody else and I sat down. My heart was just so heavy because I was waiting to make that telephone call at 7 o'clock, is Grandpa Scott alive? Did he enter into hell without accepting Jesus Christ? I sat there at that table 19-year-old kid from Waterloo, Oregon. Not a friend in the world. Really. Nobody that knew my heart. And this girl by the name of Julie, she was a senior. She was one of the most beautiful girls at the college. She sang in the corral. She traveled with Jerry Falwell and sang all over any place he would speak. They would take the corral And... She happened to be in the cafeteria. And I'll never forget it. She walked over and she sat across from me. She said, what's your name? I said, my name's Ben. She said, I, I noticed, I observed. <laughs> I noticed that you don't have a smile on your face and you always have a smile on your face. What's wrong? And, and I just let everything go told her the whole story. And she prayed with me. Did it make any difference? I, I was, later that night, I was able to call and my mom shared with me how in the last week of, my, of Grandpa Scott's life in the hospital, uh, somebody who was just as mean and ornery as he was sat down with him and led him to Christ. Julie observed She saw somebody that was hurting. She took the time to come down and sit down, find out my name, pray with me, hear my my story. Couldn't do anything to change it, but it did everything for me to know that somebody cared enough to do that. Thousands of times in the last 45 years, I have sat down with people Hey, I see you're not doing very well. You want to tell me about it? And just listen. Couldn't change their circumstance, but I could listen. Pay attention to those around you. A couple of verses, 2 Timothy 4, 8 to 9 talks about our how we deal with our brothers and sisters. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Because love covers a multitude of sin. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You folks are the grace of God that, that, that flows out into the world. You're the steward of that. In Romans 12:10 to 13 it says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love give preference to one another, not lagging behind, diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, perseverance in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of saints, practicing hospitality. We have to be fervent in moving out into our world and seeing people that are hurting and wrapping them up in our love for God. Amen. Well, let's finish this this narrative out. These two gentlemen, the baker and the the cupbearer share their dreams. The cupbearer said, "I had this dream. I had baskets of grape on, grapes on my head and and I was squeezing the grapes into the king's cup." And David said uh, or uh, excuse me, uh, Joseph said, oh, good, good deal. Those three baskets mean three days, and in three days you're going to be restored to your position as the king's cupbearer. And he's going, "Woohoo! good deal. The baker's like going, all right, I heard that story. What was mine? And the baker said, yeah, I had three baskets on my head, and, all, and the birds were coming and taking all of this out. And, he, and Joseph looked at him and says, in three days, the king's going to lift up your head and he's going to take it off. You're going to die. And David's, or David, I got David on the brain today. Joseph said, remember me when you get there. Don't forget me. I have been falsely accused. I'm in prison for something I didn't do Please tell the king, get me out of here. And of course, that came true. Three days was was Pharaoh's birthday, and he said, "Hey, for celebration, bring these two guys up here." And the cupbearer was restored, and the baker was hung, just as Joseph said. And I want you to read the last verse of chapter 40. And yet, the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Have you ever felt there? Have you ever felt like everybody's forgotten you? God's forgotten you? Here's Joseph hanging out in prison. Yeah, God's blessing, but But every night when he went to sleep, what would happen? clang, the door shut. Looking out the the bars at night through the slit in the window going, wow, I'm here for another day. Can you imagine what his wall looked like every time, every morning when he got up and he put another mark on the wall and another mark on the wall and he sat in that same place for all of those times and he's like going, and the cupbearer didn't even remember There's a song that we like to sing. We teach it to our kids. Jesus loves me, this I know. Right? All our kids know that. I want to change it just a little bit for you today. Jesus knows me, this I love. Jesus knows me. He knows me and he knows right where I'm at. He knows where I'm where I'm sitting whether I'm on the bottom or I'm on the top. He knows what my marriage looks like. He knows what my finances look like. He knows what my health looks like. Whatever you're going through, he knows you. There's a song that I, I love to sing it's about the cross he knew me yet he loved me he whose glory makes the heavens shine So unworthy of such mercy. For when he was on the cross, you were on his mind. As we come to communion, I want you to remember that. Jesus knows you. He loves you so much that when he gave his disciples, his apostles, the Last Supper, he said, this is my body which is broken for you. It was coming. This is my blood that was shed for you. But as he hung on that cross, he not only looked down at those few that showed up, looked down at his mother, looked down at at John and, and Mary Magdalene, and he looked down at them in love but then he looked down through the ages he looked down and he says scott i love you bob i love you bill i love you carol i love you mikey i love you each and every one of you he looked you looked through all of the ages and he said i love you I love you so much that it's my blood that's going to pay for your sin on the cross.